Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings 5 once again, 2 Kings 5. Today's study is really part two of a miracle that we studied last week where God healed a foreign army commander named Naaman, healed him of his leprosy. God did this amazing thing to reveal himself to Naaman who would experience now the power of the one true God. He would experience Just as importantly, the grace of the one true God. Because you could not earn a healing. He had come actually from the nation of Aram, loaded down with about a half ton of silver and gold because he heard that there was healing available in Israel. But after God had healed him, Elisha wouldn't even accept a gift. It was like, nothing, I won't take a shekel. And so Naaman was learning both the power and the grace of God. Today in part two, though, we sadly see how Elisha's servant, Gehazi, responded to this amazing thing he had just witnessed. So while Naaman is learning about the grace of God, the believer, Gehazi, is exposing his Greed. The pagan, Naaman, becomes a believer, but the believer is basically acting like a pagan for the love of money, as the passage Seth just read. So let's read uh, most of the story here in 2 Kings 5, beginning in verse 19. Elisha had just sent home Naaman, go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master, Elisha, was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running towards him, He got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything's all right, Gehazi answered. And now now, now comes the fabricated story. My master, Elisha, sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, some landmark near his house, he took the things from the servants and put them away in his house and he sent the men away and they left. We are exposed to the heart of Gehazi because we are told his thoughts. I will get something from him. He had a coveted, covetous heart. The core sin that we're exposing today, if you want to put it in terms of the uh, Ten Commandments, is coveting. If you know the last five commandments, don't murder, 
don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servants, ox, or donkey. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. I think we can safely assume that uh, Gehazi was struggling with that as he lived near Samaria, worked for Elisha, but didn't have everything maybe his neighbors did. And suddenly there was this opportunity that was driving away. All this money was leaving town that had been offered to Elisha. I will get something. Gehazi's core sin issue, we would call it in Old Testament terms, was coveting or envy or simply wanting what others have that we don't. Right now, tragically, on the world stage, what we are watching is the greed, the coveting of an autocratic ruler of Russia. He wants the land, the resources of his neighbor. This passage assures us that coveting always has a terrible personal cost, and we can, we can count on that. Gehazi's response, seeing Naaman leave, was troubling as we see this phrase, this Aramean. It's like a racial slur. It's like, why are we letting him off like this? The implication is, he's a foreigner, he's undeserving of this. While God has just been seeking to teach grace, Gehazi is bound up in this idea of merit, which is frankly, as we saw last week, what the world's religions are all about. The world's religions and our natural impulses are all about merit and earning things. They don't deserve that. Too often, so-called Christianity teaches some form of merit that we need to earn God's favor by doing something And the refreshing news of the grace of God and the refreshing news of the cross is it's not what we do for him, it's what he's already done for us. And we accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And Naaman was just learning this about the God of grace. And Gehazi, the believer, is the one who now comes along and undermines the whole concept of grace by saying, give me something. I'll get something from him. Naaman had, I mean, rather, Gehazi had been privileged to have a front row seat to the power and the grace of God as long as he had served Elisha. Some years, we assume. He had seen the Shunammite's son raised from the dead. Imagine seeing God's power in raising a boy from the dead. Gehazi was right there. We studied back in chapter 4. And now he had seen a man healed of leprosy. And yet he somehow failed to worship God for that. Instead of having a heart of gratitude and worship and privilege at being you know, the observer of the goodness and grace of God, his greed, his selfish heart takes over. And how easily does that happen? Because the price of greed is to be distracted from spiritual things. And our, our priorities shift, tilt in the opposite direction. It happens so often, and so, it's so normal that it happens among our own hearts as believers. 
where we have genuine spiritual interest and desire, and, and we, we love that, that maybe, maybe you, you came to faith in Christ later in life, and, and wow, you were saved, and this is amazing, and the fellowship, and the, and, the, and the eternal things that we're living for, and how that slow fade happens, and, and before we know it, we're, we're consumed with lesser things. The price of greed is distraction from the things that matter. When Jesus told the parable of the soils, sometimes called the sower and the seed, I actually believe that the two of these soils that um, the seed that fell on rocky and, and, and among the weeds, I think it was actually talking about believers on this downward spiral who lose joy and fruitfulness. Why? Others, Jesus said, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We, we understand how persecution can do that, right? Still others, <coughs> like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The, the, the innocence, if, if you will, of, of just the economy, our personal economies, kind of can drag us down from the spiritual priorities. What value do we place on spiritual fruit? What value do we, do we hold when we have the joy? And what is distracting us from those things? Is it worries, deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other lesser things? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll throw in everything else that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And somehow, Gehazi had missed out on that spiritual blessing of focusing on the spiritual things and then just watching how God supplies and trusting him contented. I think Gehazi would have said at this point, as he was even thinking of this, if you'd asked him, he'd say, yeah, I care about spiritual things, but also this, but I want this. He, he probably didn't even recognize it, but, but maybe for some years he had begun to resent how he and his wife just didn't really have what others had. And so, you know, he got only a few shekels of silver to spare ever. He had maybe never even owned a, a shekel of gold. And Naaman had showed up offering 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 talents of silver, which is a massive 750 pounds of silver. And all this money, and he, he's never had a gold piece, and, and he's probably never even seen a whole talent of gold in one place. And those clothes, my goodness, he could only imagine what that would be like to show up to the family reunion wearing one of those robes. I will get something from him. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of times we, we feel we're pretty good at keeping the Ten Commandments, and then we run into the number 10. Coveting, envy. It's kind of an invisible sin. Others don't see it when they see us. Coveting is like a, a respectable sin. Expected. Envy keeps the economy going, doesn't it? I mean, every, every commercial you watch, every ad that clutters your browser is assuming that that you and I envy, that we want a better house, better appliances, 
better phones, better flat screens, cars, trucks, SUVs, boats. Motorcycles are exempt. It's okay to want a better motorcycle. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we easily excuse our own little piece of envy? I think as Christians, we are pretty much aware uh, and grieving the moral decline of our society. And so we think of the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, and, and how adultery and so many perversions are, are deemed okay by our culture. Do we, we should grieve those things, but do we grieve the sin of coveting? Because we see in this passage how coveting is a sin that can spiral tragically. How, how many jail cells are filled with covetous, covetous people? had to have something to belong to somebody else. What character trait do we see in the greedy, bloody land grab happening internationally right now? So Gehazi is a believer whose life is falling apart simply because he is not content. He saw all those bags of money and fancy clothes driving away in Naaman's chariot. I will get something. So he hurries after him, verse 21. Naaman is totally innocent here. Is everything okay? It's all okay, verse 22. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Um, it's not for me. It's for the prophets. It's for the ministry. You, you would be helping the work of God if you gave me this talent of silver and two sets of clothing, and, and Naaman is glad to give it. But don't you suppose at this point, Naaman, who has just learned, was learning about the God who had healed him by grace, is, it's a, getting a little bit fuzzy now, isn't it? A little bit confusing. Okay, he healed me, but... He is kind of like the other gods, because eventually, you know, he's got, he needs something, there's something transactional about God. It's not really fully grace. Two sets of clothing for the two fictitious prophets who never were there. This deceit was not an impulse. This story was carefully thought through. As he daydreamed, Gehazi had time to think and consider what he was doing, that it was wrong on every level, spiritually. He would have known that. When believers fall into sin, there's a process of thinking, rationalizing, defending, and then deciding, I'll do it anyway. He had, he had to do some serious calculating. I mean, how did he decide on one talent of silver, two sets of clothes? It's really quite a moderate ask. But he was thinking clearly about the plan because if you would go to Naaman and ask for everything or even half of it, Naaman wouldn't buy that. After what Elisha had said, there's no way he would have gotten all of that. So he had, he had, to, he had to scale it down, number one, for, for allaying that suspicion. Then, and then there's the secrecy of Whatever you take, you need to keep it from your boss, Elisha. So it's got to be something you can nicely hide in the house. 
Uh, it has to be something practically that he could carry on his own. One talent of silver is 75 pounds. You can handle that. A couple sets of clothes. clothes. I think also Gehazi was thinking through what would he be able to live with in his conscience. If, if, you, if you take a lot, you're going to have a lot of guilt. If you take less, you'll have less guilt. It's kind of that little thing that we, we do to, to rationalize things. You know, it just, the expense count is kind of like this, and it's, I reported most of my, those kind of things. Finally, did you notice that he did not ask for gold? I mean, gold is the, is the key thing here. But he didn't ask for any gold. Is that because of his restraint? I don't think so. Again, this is, this is calculated because if a man of his station shows up with gold pieces, I, I think the town would be a buzz. How do, you, how do you exchange that? Where did you come up with gold? But if you just keep pulling out a shekel of silver in that talent, that 75 pounds worth, surely you can, you can keep doing that without raising any suspicion, and yet you have enough back there that, that you, it's good enough for, your, for some, some upgrades of your life as well as a nest egg for retirement plus clothes. So he kind of came up with something that checked all the boxes. Give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. But then Naaman really complicates things in verse 23. By all means, take two talents. In fact, he had to kind of talk him into it. He urged Gehazi to accept them, and then he tied it up and sent it with his servants. It's really hard to turn down two when you've already asked for one. It's kind of like the second piece of pie. <laughs> or a jewelry thief that needs to make his getaway, but there's so much. When do you quit grabbing? And so Gehazi accepts the two talents, but it does complicate things because now he got 150 pounds instead of 75 pounds. And imagine like carrying three 50 pounds of quick read or something. You know, you, you can't do that by yourself. So he has to accept the offer of the servants who are going to carry this for him. But that brings up another complication because now you got, you're coming back home now with servants and you don't want the neighbors to see the servants because that could destroy your story. And so it says there that when, verse 24, when Gehazi came to the hill... He took the things from the servants, sent them home. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of this last part. So, so I'm kind of picturing there's this hill over here, and, and um, the servants are going to be seen if they come down the hill towards where, where they all live. And, or, or, so stop there. And the, the hill, uh, the, uh, some translations say the citadel or tower. It could be like a, a big rock formation. It's some kind of a landmark that now, if, if you're going to be seen, stay there. So... I'll take care of it from here. It probably had to take two trips now. Deceit gets really complicated sometimes. If, if you've ever done a surprise birthday party for somebody, don't you find yourself in kind of some awkward, hopefully rare situations where you can't give people all the information, you, you, you have to say something that isn't quite true because you're being sneaky and hiding the gift or the streamers or explaining something away and... And, uh, and hopefully it's for a good cause, because I don't want to debate the ethics of lying for surprise parties. But, but if you find yourself hiding stuff or hiding information, 
you have to kind of ask yourself what's going on spiritually. Because what actually happened is, as he was hiding his greed, 10th commandment, which forced him to lie, Ninth commandment. And once you start lying, you have to keep following it up to cover the lies. Gehazi would seemingly have has pulled it off, but then he needed to get back to work and report to Elisha for duty. Verse 25. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. You've caught your children like this, haven't you? There's chocolate all over their face. Did you take some candy? No. (laughs) What were you doing? Nothing. Amazing how the human sinful heart is so adept at fabricating lie and lie to cover lies. In Genesis 3... God confronted Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Which would have been a good time to say yes. And he didn't directly say no to God. He did the the deceitful thing of shifting blame. The woman you gave me. Why did you give me this woman? She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. My sister gave me the candy bar, it's her fault. Coveting became deceit, and, and, and then you, you fall into this terribly juvenile, childish string of lies. Let's think about um, coveting, envy, more and better, uh, both in terms of its forms and the process. What's, what's happening within us? Uh, the forms are, are many. Sometimes it's it's getting something that's forbidden, like Adam and Eve. Sometimes it's getting something that's good, but you want more than God wants you to have, like money. Money's not evil. Money is a good, spiritual thing. Uh, Sometimes it's wanting, demanding something now that God might want you to wait for. And, And sometimes it's wanting it differently than God is providing it. So many forms of greed. What's the process? Because I'm pretty sure that as we we sit here together today with God's word, we don't want to be this guy, right? So do do we understand the process of how we get there? There seems to be a kind of almost a standard biblical formula for coveting. You see, you desire, and you take. For Eve... When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's what what Satan had promised, then she took some and ate it. See, desire and take. Or the story of Achan. This is when uh, Joshua was leading the people to conquer Canaan. They went around the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho fall down. It was the first victory. And God said this first victory, no spoils of war for any individual. It all goes into... God's treasury, so to speak. But Achan did it anyway, and eventually he is exposed. When I saw, he said, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. See, 
covet take. In another setting of, of lust, David, from the roof, he, David, saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Who is she? Then David sent messengers to get her. Then she came to him, and he slept with her. See, covet, take what is your neighbor's. Did these sins begin with eating fruit, taking the bar of gold, or committing adultery? They began before. They began in that coveting desire. That's why we have the 10th commandment, because it's already sin. Coveting is already sin. A few months ago, we quoted Martin Luther that, about temptation. I think it applies here. Because we don't always know, you know, when, is, when do you go from seeing to coveting? Martin Luther said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair. Okay? So somewhere there is this threshold you cross. You have the thought, yeah, that, that sure is a, a nice car compared to ours, whatever it is. But somewhere it makes a nest in your hair that, that we are now coveting. Are we spiritually sensitive to when that happens? Because of what it reveals is that we are missing out on the, on the privilege of contentment. That, that was Adam and Eve's problem. They weren't content with all those amazing fruits in the garden. Achan wasn't content with what God had provided for them. Victory, victory over, over, over Jericho. And, and the sad thing is that after they perished in punishment, in the subsequent battles, God allowed Israel, the Israelites to take plunder and enjoy the plunder. It was like, I have to have it now. David was not content with the wives that he had. Gehazi was not content. The price of greed is not only the distraction from spiritual things, but the price of greed then is the sacrifice or the forfeiture of contentment. To not enjoy what contentment is all about. Seth read for us earlier, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If the key word is free, it's because God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free to enjoy what he provides for you. He wants you to be free to be at peace with what he's provided. He wants you to be... He wants, part of freedom is, is gratitude. How can you be truly grateful for something when you always want the next thing? Free. Free from the love of money. Love of money is another word for Greed. Uh, greed is an equal opportunity sin. It's not, it's not a matter of being rich or poor at all. That really has nothing to do with it. Sometimes uh, we assume that maybe the wealthier are the more greedy. Doesn't, doesn't say that. In fact, this passage would frankly seem to be addressed more towards those who are struggling financially, saying, be free from the love of money because God will take care of those needs that you have. Because often we, we have that longing for more when it just seems like we can't get above it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You have me. So I want you to be free. So, so if, if, this, if this comes to us at a time of, of, of need, he's saying I want you to be free from worry. 
If it comes to us at a time of abundance, he's saying, I want you to be free from the obsession with more. I want you to be free. Opposite of freedom is enslavement. To be bound, enslaved, addicted to something. If money is our, is our security, then we're enslaved to it if we love money. Because then just got, that's where my security is. If, 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 if money is our, is our key to status, then we're enslaved to it. If it's our way to nicer things, more fun, we can be enslaved to it. Buying things can become like a, an emotional lift, a, an escape from boredom, a, uh, a little drug that just kind of picks us up. Parents, if you have children at home, I think a great place to teach contentment is Walmart. To, to be able to teach that this little toy will not make you happy. So we're going we're gonna to wait and we're going to go home and we're going to enjoy some of the toys God has given us. The checkout line is a super place to learn some of these fundamental principles. God wants to free us. There's such freedom and joy and peace that comes from knowing that he knows what we should have, if we should have it, when we should have it, how much should we have. Is our relationship with God such that we can we can rest in that relationship. Gehazi, I missed all that and paid this very serious price. And so we pick up the story where, where the consequences come in. You've got a coveting heart, a deceitful heart, and now he experiences the discipline of God. Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered, verse 26. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you? Didn't I see when the man got down from his chariot to meet you. So God had exposed or, or revealed to Elisha exactly what happened there. He was a prophet. God revealed things to him. Didn't I see? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maid servants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as white as snow. Ooh. God's discipline was leprosy, but also legacy. It affected his families, his family. Is this the time to accept clothes? He, so, so there was an obvious lie. Wasn't my spirit with you? So he exposed the lie, but he also exposed his, exposed his motive. Is this the time to, to get these olive groves, clothes, first of all, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds? Why, why this particular list? Did, did Elisha know that Gehazi was plotting his ministry career exit plan? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this silver, and now, man, I got double. I'm going to use this to buy a nice little place outside of Samaria, start a vineyard, have servants taking care of it. 
uh, I'm going to enjoy the good life. Is this the time to do that? Gehazi, God saw your motive. He, he saw that you, he saw everything that you were privileged to watch being part of this ministry and, and you ditched it all. And now you're going to have his leprosy. Hmm. I, it is, it's hard to understand uh, God's justice sometimes, especially some of the Old Testament examples that we, we see, but Yet we see there is something to how sins trickle down through generations. Greed has, has consequences, James wrote. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. That's where, you know, you, it, it wasn't just a temptation, the bird buzzing around here. It was... By his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There is this, there is this descending uh, impact of sin. Adam and Eve, their sin affected everybody, right? That, that sin of, of coveting led to the entrance of sin into humanity, and so it's affected every one of us in this room, of course. And in fact, their own son, Cain, killed their other son, Abel, death. Achan's sin, with his robes and the gold and the silver, led to his immediate judgment, and they actually stoned him and his family. Joshua 7. David's sin... While not bringing immediate death to him, he confessed and repented, but there were the ongoing consequences. And actually, three of David's sons died, really, as a, as a residual effect of his sin. First of all, the baby born of him and Bathsheba's sin died. His son Amnon uh, was uh, uh, an immoral man, raped his sister Tamar. Another brother, Absalom, killed Amnon. That's son number two that died. And then Absalom, who rebelled against David, was himself killed in battle. Brings death in these examples. Our children are kind of hardwired with certain priorities or values when they're young. That is no excuse uh, because as we become teens and adults, we are fully responsible for our own choices and priorities. But if you'd ask Gehaze, I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted to bring this upon He would have liked to have rewound the tape, I'm sure. But it's in our Bible so that wherever this catches us, we can make the adjustments now to be the person to, that first of all pleases God, to be the person who can... Uh, uh, make changes that can still impact family and others. How do, you, how do, we, how do we get there? How do, the only way to reverse such a natural pull of simply wanting what others have or what's available or what the culture says we, we could or should have is going to be a refocus on God. And so, just, just trying to make it simple, I think two principles would be gratitude and trust. Gratitude and trust are the keys to contentment. 
Paul said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So he kind of has both experiences. I've learned the secret of being content in any every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is the key? What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's going to be a focus, keeping a focus on God. And so he is not being critical of those in need. He's not being critical of those with wealth. He says, we're going to have to stay focused on God because he will give us strength to be content in the situation we're in. Contentment and gratitude are almost like synonymous, it seems, in Scripture, because when you see someone content, that's when you are free to be grateful. So, so Paul is able to look backwards and say, I just see how God's provided, and it, says, and it doesn't get any better than that. And so he's living in gratitude with God-focused contentment. Second issue, again, going to this passage, is trust. Keep your lives free from the love of money because, and being content with what you have because God says, I'll take care of you. So it's this sense of praying, resting, waiting. It's just like exhaling and going, okay, God, it's up to you. Trust is always evidenced in our lives by our prayer life. Because when we pray, that's when we're saying, I trust you. Because we don't know. We pray about things that we don't know, about the future we don't know. But we're saying we we trust you. In James 4, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures. So there's something purifying as you begin to ask God about these kind of things. Where he if you're talking to him by his Holy Spirit, he can he can begin to filter and and purify and 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 show you things. So is this something we should invest in, something we should spend? If there's an abundance, is this something you want us to, to give or help? Is this something to enjoy? Because many times God gives us many things richly to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6. God, God's not a, uh, trying to spoil uh, the enjoyment of his blessing at all. But how do you know? Because it's such an individual plan. Every plan is different in this room. But we pray and we trust, and that's how we learn how God is going to direct us. John the Baptist one time was uh, preaching repentance, as he did, and some soldiers asked John the Baptist, so what does repentance look like for us? And John had one brief statement, be content with your pay. See, soldiers could extort through intimidation. And basically saying, stop it. Be content with your pay. It almost sounds un-American to be content with our pay. Surely there should be, yeah. And sometimes just enjoy the peace, the gratitude that comes from where you are now. And then pray and trust God about the future. So sometimes we, we assume If we can afford it, we should do it. So we just check our balances instead of praying about it. And don't we think that God in his goodness and his grace knows what is best for us and he will direct us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know this is a uh, a battle that every person on earth faces. 
And as believers in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to uh, not just convict us, but to enable and, and clarify and empower a life that is marked by peace and joy and gratitude. Lord, we do thank you for uh, the privileges we enjoy. I thank you right now for the, the freedom that we feel. We feel safe today while there are other believers meeting someplace in Ukraine that don't feel peace right now of their safety. They're, they're crying out to you for, for your protection. And so, Lord, we, we come alongside them and we pray for those churches, those, those missionaries, the people who are, are, are t- able to tune to you. And we pray for those who might come to faith in you because of their fears right now. And, and, and Lord, we just we want to draw alongside them. At the same time, Lord, here in our part of the world, you are showering us with blessings, and it's really hard to understand your ways sometimes. But we do accept them from you and pray for the, the peace and joy, wisdom, and holiness in our, in our pursuit of all things financial because they are spiritual. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.